Hey friends, welcome to the Addiction Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Kelly Miller, nutrition therapist, health and wellness recovery coach, and certified nutrition nerd. On this podcast, we talk about all things health and wellness and recovery. We talk about pause and nutrition for post-acute withdrawal syndrome. We talk about biochemical repair and amino acid therapy. We even get into food addiction. We want this platform to be your number one resource for creating health and wellness and recovery so you can stop self-sabotaging habits for good. If you're tired of feeling stuck and you're ready to take action and learn how to build healthy habits and recovery, this podcast is for you. When you recover well, there's just no oxygen for addiction to survive. Let's create wellness together and start today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Addiction Nutritionist podcast. I have a guest today that I think is going to blow your socks off. This is going to be I know this is going to be one of the most important conversations that I've ever had here on the podcast, and I cannot wait to share with you this conversation. So my guest today is Jolene Park. Um, A lot of you probably maybe even know who she is. And for those of you that don't, I'm going to talk about her bio in just a minute and formally introduce her. But before we get into all of that, we're going to do our food sponsor today. Um, And today's food sponsor is Black Beans, which is one of Jolene's favorite foods. We haven't highlighted this food yet, so I'm excited to talk about it for just a minute. Um, so black beans originated in South America, um, specifically Peru. It's been a staple in Latin American cuisine and uh, Caribbean cuisine for, for thousands of years. Um, black beans are also referred to as a legume or a pulse. And I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's They have been one of my favorite foods for a really long time. They kind of have this mild, sweet, sort of earthy taste. My husband makes hands down the best black bean soup on the planet. I would put it in any contest. It is the most amazing thing ever. Um, and, but, but the thing about black beans is they are so power packed with nutrients, um, so unbelievably power packed. They give you just one cup of boiled unsalted black beans will give you 64% of what you'd need for folate, which is a really important nutrient that I know Jolene is very well acquainted with because um, it's so important for mental health, serotonin production, dopamine production, all of these things that help stabilize us and create balanced brain chemistry, um, but also massive amounts of fiber. It's hard to to find well it's not hard to find fiber but i think this is one of the main things that is missing in the american diet today like people are mostly under consuming fiber and black beans have soluble fiber insoluble fiber but also resistant starch which is such an important form of fiber um so important for the colon Black beans also give 29% of your daily value for magnesium. They're power packed with iron, which if you've ever heard me talk about plant-based iron before, you might know that you need to add in some like citrus and other vitamin C type foods to be able to absorb that iron. 15 grams of protein in one cup of black beans. Now it's not a complete protein. So you got to mix it with some other stuff to get that full amino acid profile, but still an amazing source of protein. Um, it's, It's rich, rich, rich in antioxidants. So I did learn this. I thought black beans were black. They're not actually black. They're like dark, dark, dark purple. And so if you think of a black bean, it has anthocyanins, very similar to what blueberries have that give it that deep blueberry color. That's what black beans have as well, but it's actually dark purple. Um, And I guess if you've ever put these in the pot, like you see the water kind of starting to turn purple. So it kind of, it's a cool thing to watch, but rich in antioxidants, which is great for lowering heart disease, lowering cholesterol, lowering incidences of cancer, lowering blood pressure, like the nutrient you know, power packedness of black beans goes on and on and on. It has what's called a vasorelaxant effect. So it actually relaxes the um, 
you know, your arteries and that's how it uh, lowers blood pressure. Um, and then the only other thing I would say with about black beans is that you probably want to soak them before you consume them, maybe like overnight. Um, that reduces some of the anti-nutrients that are in black beans and just gives us a better, um, a better ability to absorb the nutrients in them. And, and the last thing also is that you probably want to keep the water too, because I read that cooking black beans for just an hour, you lose like 50% of the folate and 35% of the B vitamins in the water. So reuse that water, like put it in your rice, or I've had people tell me they drink it. Um, there's all kinds of places you could probably put it. Um, but what is your favorite way to consume black beans, Jolene? Oh my gosh. I'm embarrassed after you went through all of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which was, I mean, I learned so much of all the little micronutrient, just gems and, and mm -hmm. pearls there. Um, I buy my black beans because I don't love to cook. So I buy them in a, a little carton, not a can. So, oh. you know, like the, um, like the almond milk, oat milk, how they put them in, in those, those little yeah. cartons. It's just a little one. And I just open it up and I rinse them off in a colander, you know, under the water sink. And I just, I just eat them throughout the day like that. So I agree with you. Like, you know, the actual bean you want to soak and, you know, if you're, mm -hmm, if you're cooking mm -hmm. it, but I just buy it out of the can or out of the carton and, and eat, you know, add it to my meals and, and just eat that way. Well, I just love that because anytime we can make this easier, like I have so many clients too, that like, they don't love to cook. They don't even want to learn. So making it easier. Um, and I think that's a great way to make it easy too. I love that. Um, yeah, the black beans are like a great side dish for anything, right? They're so yummy. <laughs> they are. They are. And I loved, I mean, so many things I didn't know, like, like you said about the folates and all those mm -hmm. pieces. I mean, I, the, the fiber is what I'm so interested in. Mm -hmm. Yes. How beneficial that is, but such that was so informative good to yeah. know yeah people have given me a lot of feedback about loving the food sponsor part so I'm like I'm not I'm not going to get rid of it it takes up a little bit of time but people seem to really love just those few minutes of of information about these foods so okay I'm gonna formally introduce you here Jolene I'm gonna I'm gonna read your bio and then we're gonna get into this like super fun exciting conversation um Jolene Park is a sought-after speaker and leading authority on gray area drinking her pioneering TED talk has been viewed 400,000 times. Wowza. She's a, a functional nutritionist and health coach who provides a new and revolutionary way to rewire, replenish, and repair the nervous system after quitting drinking. Her nourish method is applicable to anyone questioning their drinking or who has already quit, especially those who don't have a crash and burn drinking story. Today, Jolene guides clients through the missing physiological pieces that they need to reduce excessive alcohol consumption, anxiety, and cravings. She also trains healthcare practitioners on the importance of nourishing neurotransmitters and supporting their client's nervous system in a comprehensive way. Her work has been featured on NPR and many other outlets. Jolene is a Colorado native and currently lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, we're we're going to pick so much of this apart, everything from the gray area drinking. We're going to talk about your TED talk. We're going to talk about your training program for clinicians, practitioners, coaches, because I, I, gosh, I want everyone to hear about that program. I think it is so important. And that is part of why this conversation is going to be so important today. So first off, thank you for being here. Thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast. Um, we've, we've known each other for years, but haven't been close, just kind of been running in similar circles. And we knew each other was out there and would talk occasionally, but 
we actually just spent a half an hour before hitting record, catching up and talking. And, and then I started to go, oh my gosh, we have to hit record because we need to get all this good stuff in the podcast because it was such a great conversation. So thank you for being here. First and foremost, I'm, I'm so excited to be here with you. And I'm really excited about this conversation to come. So yeah. thanks for inviting me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I don't even know if you know this, but I want to give people just a quick little background on your, like how, how important you have been in my life. So years ago, um, when I was, I've known since I was a child, I wanted to work like in the addiction field in some way, but I really didn't know how that was going to play out. Um, and at some point I realized, you know, I had my own health journey and crisis with like autoimmune disorder and all this stuff. And I realized that I was going to go into the nutrition space. And then I realized I was going to combine addiction and nutrition and all these things. But when I started that, I was still drinking and I had this internal struggle that is hard to encapsulate in words. It was just this inner tension I carried around with me everywhere that constantly said like, do I need to quit drinking? And I was just asking myself this. I wasn't asking anybody else because I really didn't want to hear anyone's opinions about it. But gosh, I carried that question around with me forever. And I started to do this work in addiction and I'm still going like, do I need to quit drinking? And like, maybe other people would have thought like, yeah, obviously. Or maybe they would have thought like, no, why would you even consider that? Like you're not an alcoholic. And that was the question for me. And all of a sudden this trifecta of resources came together for me. And it was Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind. It was my really good friend, Matt Salis from Sober Unashamed, like having sober and unashamed, having conversations with him just about alcohol and his journey. And then I had a meeting at Whole Foods. And I was, it was kind of a business meeting. And this woman said to me, do you know who Jolene Park is? And I was like, no, who's that? And she told me about your Ted talk. And she's like, she talks about this thing called gray area drinking. And I was like, what, what is that? I've never heard of that. So I went home and I started to look up gray area drinking and it, it was, it was like a light from the heavens (laughs) shine. Like I'm probably going to get emotional (laughs) because I was like, this is it. This is the thing I've been looking for for so long. Um, I should have put tissues out knowing that I was going to cry during this conversation. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'll pull it together. Pull it together. Um, When I read what gray era drinking was, I could not believe that I had found the answer to that question that I was carrying around in my heart for so long. And so and it was like the light bulbs went off and said, this is this is why you need to quit drinking. You know, you're, you're not an alcoholic, you're a gray area drinker at the end of the day, it doesn't even really matter. Um, but the, because the, the key to this whole thing is that you do need to quit drinking. And I knew in that moment, like that was the journey that I was starting on. And so I actually committed to one year. I said, I'm not going to like do the whole, I'm giving up drinking forever. Cause I was such a scary thought at the time. Um, and I have a question for you. I think that this will play into our conversation. Like I kind of used to carry this little badge around with me. Like, Oh, I can do dry January. I can give up alcohol for 30 days. I've even given up alcohol for six months, you know? And it was like, I would say that all the time to myself, to other people. And that was what kept convincing me. Like I can give up alcohol whenever I want, but that was also what played into my decision of like, I've never done a year. 
I'm going to do a year. I'm going to reassess at the end of the year. And I've probably talked about this journey a number of times in different ways. Um, but th this is really why I'm so excited to have you here because that year turned into, I will hit five years at the end of this year. And it has been the greatest gift of my life other than my children and my marriage and, and my walk with, um, Jesus, this gift of sobriety, it, it, I can't even find the words for it. It's it's radically changed my life. Um, and, and that five years has been a journey in itself. And so, so I'm going to give you a chance to talk now because I've been blathering on for God knows how long. But tell me, I, I actually just recently heard you didn't come up with the term gray area drinking like you found it in some literature. But like, let's get into it. What is for the listeners gray area drinking? And then I would love for you to share how how you how you ended up learning about gray area drinking and how it became a thing for your life. So I'm just going to hand it over to you <laughs> wherever you want to start. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I didn't know about that part of your story about being in Whole Foods in Denver and someone had mentioned my, t I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, because yeah. we did meet a couple of years ago. We were at a, a gathering, but I think it wasn't even necessarily alcohol free, but I, I remember talking. So I, did, I didn't know that, that part of your story. That's, yeah. wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm touched by that. And you just described the, the gray area drinking story from, um, it's very common for practitioners, coaches who are really interested in, in wellness. I mean, people in all industries certainly drink, but, um, but are interested in health, interested in wellness, working in addiction and, um, or not, but that, you know, the other part of, of this then is that internal just dialogue and, and ultimately it's that knowing which you had. Um, and then it's like, but I'm not that bad. And, and, quitting forever and alcoholic doesn't really resonate and all of those pieces, those are all just um, the character, you know, a characteristic kind of typical gray area drinking story. So thank you for sharing that. My story is very similar. I was working in corporate wellness. I love wellness. I love nutrition, have been working in it for 20 years um, at this point, 20 plus years. And, um, and also drank like everyone around me was drinking and there was nothing about my drinking that stood out. No one ever would have or did point a finger saying, oh, Jolene is so out of control with her drinking. And there was nothing external that, that was proof that I had a problem with drinking. Um, I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose a driver's license or a relationship or work or nothing was, the wheels didn't fall off. Nothing mm -hmm. was lost. But it was the same. It was that internal, like, I can't keep drinking like this. Like, this isn't working, but I can be social, surely, right? Like, I can surely have a glass. And then I'd, I'd quit for a while because I could, just like you, I could quit quite easily. It wasn't, you know, the quitting wasn't hard. What was hard was, I don't need to be so all or nothing. I don't need to be so black or white. But in 2014, after many times of going back and forth, quitting, drinking again, thinking it would be different. In 2014, it was a real come to Jesus meeting. Um, literally, I look back on it now, but it feels very much like God was saying enough. And I knew it was enough. And I was really resolute in my bones that it was enough. And, and kind of talked through, you know, thought through the scenarios of like, what if, you know, I go on a romantic holiday in the future. I wasn't dating anyone <laughs> to Italy. Like, I'm like, not going to drink wine in this hypothetical future. And I'd answer myself and I'd be like, no, this is it. Like, you know, what if there's that really hard 
phone call or, you know, two in the morning where just something in life brings me to my knees. Am I really not going to pour a glass of wine? And I would answer myself and like, no, this, no matter what happens, good or bad in the future, I am making this resolute decision. And I, and I, you know, I've not drank through hard times and holidays and different seasons. And I go back and it's actually worse drinking and trying to stop again than it is to go through the ups and downs of life. And so I made that decision in 2014. I have stuck with it. Um, I feel more and more resolute like you. I'm so glad I stopped nine years ago. So grateful um, that I didn't go through my perimenopause years um, drinking and just everything going on in the world. I'm so glad that I'm sober AF. <laughs> oh my and, gosh, yes. <laughs> and um, I just think if there's ever a time in history to not be chemically altered and to have all of our wits and our senses about us, this is the time. And so, you know, I, I quit and didn't go to a traditional 12-step meeting, didn't go to treatment because again, it, the Quitting wasn't hard. I wasn't going through severe withdrawals or, or anything. Um, but as I, you know, as the months, weeks and months went on, I, I was implementing, dropping in what I knew, which was my functional nutrition pieces around boosting my GABA because I knew my GABA was low. And when I would drink red wine, it would feel like I'm getting a GABA effect. Um, it's false positive, but, but that's what was happening. And so I was, you know, I knew enough from my well-being work to, to start inserting, you know, some of those physiological pieces and kind of piecemeal a little, some recipes, if you will, of like, what am I going to do comprehensive? Because this is what I teach. So how am I going to now put it, put it, you know, the rubber meets the road here. Like I need to comprehensively nourish myself. And, and, um, and in that process, I had, I started to hear kind of like, well, there's this gray area. Um, and I started, I, you know, as I do, I go right to Google. I'm like, you put stuff in and I'm always <laughs> I'm a questioner. And I quickly came across nutrition research that in, in 2010, and um, there were two researchers that were involved with redoing the American dietary guidelines. They come up for review, I don't, I don't know, every decade or so. Yeah. And in 2010, these researchers said, if, if we are recommending what people um, eat and drink for optimal health and disease prevention, we cannot ignore and turn a blind eye to alcohol. We're not talking about end stage um, people's, you know, their eyes are yellow with jaundice because they've been drinking so much alcohol. And we're not talking about people who rarely if ever drink. We're talking about people in between, which is how most people drink, but it's a very gray area because it's not medical intervention, end stage alcoholism, it's not a drink here and there. That's not going to impact, you know, overall optimal health disease prevention. But we're talking about people who drink frequently, regularly. This is impacting their health. It's impacting cancer rates. It's, and so they wrote it in, you know, to the guidelines or did the study calling it this gray area of drinking. And so I found that research and then just started giving public voice to it. Um, so I didn't come up with the term the the dietary kind of guidelines research it's in PubMed did but um nobody knew that term and so with my TED talk in 2017 I then really gave global voice to the term gray area drinking um and it's just you know the the work and um the business has has just the momentum hasn't stopped since 2016 for me yeah. And I, I think you might be on the, like, I could, 
I could see this TED talk going into the millions and millions of views in the very near future, because I think the more that you keep talking about this and you're going on these different podcasts and and people are picking up on this term because every time I brought it up, nobody's ever heard of it. Every single time in a conversation, I, have you ever heard of grit? And they're like, what? No, I feel like there's like a preparation that's going on where people are going to um, latch on to maybe this TED talk or a podcast that you're on. And it's going to become even more wide and more widely known, more global. Um, I hope you're ready for that because <laughs> you're the only person I know that's talking about gray area drinking. But God, so much of what you said resonated with me and part, part of what you know, makes me so like have the happy tears is that God put all of this on my heart just over a year before the pandemic hit. And so I went into the pandemic sober and I, I just, my heart went out to all of my friends and family and people that I knew that went into the pandemic, still struggling with drinking either in an addictive way or a gray area drinking way, because they were now sort of faced with this humongous crisis, you know, what did they call it? Unprecedented times or whatever. Um, and still drinking. And I just remember going into that thing, like, Oh my God, thank God I'm sober. Thank God I'm sober. And I've been sober for a year. Um, I don't know how I would have handled this mess. Um, and it was just such a gift. And so I kind of do. Oh, and then I'll also mention this before I ask you the question, cause I'd love to hear your thoughts about why you think drinking started to increase so much, especially with women during the pandemic, because there was definitely an uptick there. Um, but one of the things with the gray area drinking for me was like, I thought if I gave up alcohol for a month or if I gave it up for six months, that I would come out of that having a new healthy relationship with alcohol. And that was the thing that smacked me in the face every time I never did. I could come out of a six month period of no drinking and I'm like, yep, we're going to, we're going to put our boundaries up and we're going to have our rules. And I'm just going to have one glass on Friday nights. And within weeks of reintroducing alcohol, I was right back where I used to be. It started with Fridays and then it was Fridays and Saturdays, Fridays through Sundays. Then it was my nightly glass of wine every time. And if I got back to the nightly glass of wine, I could very easily get back up to a bottle. And, and so I think that's key because just doing dry January or taking these extended breaks, it does not seem to resolve any of the moderation and it does not help you develop a healthy relationship with alcohol. Like if you are a gray area drinker, you have to quit drinking. That's where I landed. I don't know if that resonates with you, if you feel like that's the only choice. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? That specifically kind of always going back to where you were. Yeah. I mean, I'm nodding just like I'm to in total agreement with you. And it's why I personally stopped in 2014 because of that groundhog day that it never changes. And, mm -hmm. and you just, I just got to that point of I'm not going to elude and delude myself with any fantasy or illusion that this is going to change. It doesn't yeah. change. It does progress. I mean, I know that that's traditional language of like it's a progressive. I don't believe it's a disease. I think there, you know, that's we could talk about that, but, yeah. but it does progress. And that's why I'm like, thank goodness. I did not I quit when I was 43. I'm so glad I didn't drink through those perimenopausal years through everything that's going on in the world, because I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it would have progressed. And I knew that I had that knowing of nothing bad's happened, but the way I'm drinking is a problem for me. And looking down the trajectory for another decade, I'm rolling the dice. I'm rolling the dice for something to happen. And so, yes, it's progressive. It, you know, I think once we cross that line, I, I haven't seen anyone 
be able to go back into any kind of like normal every now and again. We, there is no normal. There is no safe or healthy recommended intake. Yeah. But, but what I want to say with all this too is that, you know, my work, my 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 mission, kind of why why I give voice to this is is not to tell people to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm not out there saying everyone should stop and alcohol is just this poison. And I mean, it's all relative. There's there's lots of things that are poison. But, but my work and, and, you know, my, my reason behind this is that for anyone listening or, you know, sharing this, even if it's not you listening, I can guarantee that you, there's a close friend, a family member, a colleague, somebody you work for, or, you know, works for you. They're in this gray area and they're, and this work is for that inner knowing. And it's there. We all have it. When we're in it, when we're in gray area drinking, we know. Mm -hmm. It's deep. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's really small and really buried, but it's, it's that inner, I know this isn't I, on the right track. It's not just like, we're just drinking, drinking, get in, get in away with it in some form. Mm -hmm. And then one day it's like, oh, this is a problem. People know for years it's a problem. And so that's, again, that's what I'm speaking to. I'm not speaking to the whole world saying the whole world needs to stop drinking, but those right. who are having that internal I kind of wonder, I don't know, am I making too much out of this? I worry in those quiet moments. Mm -hmm. I regret, I fret about it. I wonder about, that's what this work is for. And to say, there's a seat at the table for you. There's a whole global global community conversation. And then what's really excited, exciting is dropping in the neurobiological pieces, the nervous system work, working with the body. This isn't about moral defects or character, um, you know, weak will or psychologically, you're less than everybody else who's drinking alcohol. It's about working with the physiology, which is, is it's fun, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. to, to really start to learn about your body and learn about the brain and learn about if, you know, if you're regulating with alcohol, um, instead of medicating with alcohol, there's ways to regulate that are much healthier. And we just don't know. We don't know about these physiological pieces. And that's what I love sharing those healthy discoveries with others. Yes. Oh, and you're, you're such a valuable resource for that. And I'm so glad that <clears throat> I'm so glad that you mentioned, like, once you cross the line, you've never seen anybody go back to healthy moderation, because I do think there's some misinformation out there, if that's what you want to call it, or just ill-guided advice that um, you can moderate. And, and although I think a lot of people can moderate, it's that line that you talked about once you cross over that line. And I think that's, that's why I get so teary eyed about this, because when I hear you talk about people know on some level for years, that is just embodies the experience that I had, the immense tension I carried around inside my body of just not being in alignment with, with my values and knowing that and not knowing the path forward. And the thing that that gets me is that it, it sucked a tremendous amount of energy from my life, that tension and that battle, you know, Matt calls it, uh, mental gymnastics. I love that term because I was doing mental gymnastics for years. And I think about how much it stole from me being a mom to my young children and all of those things. And that's what really gets me and when, why it's so hard for me. Um, but I'm so glad I don't have to live with that tension anymore. Um, you know, you live in South Carolina now, but you used to be out here in Colorado. And um, 
something interesting happened when we hit that pandemic in Colorado. And I can't, I have no idea what the rest of the country was going through, but when stuff started to shut down, they shut down the liquor stores here and everyone freaked out. And our mayor in Denver at the time, I'm in Parker now, um, said, oh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. We'll let the liquor store say we, we made a mistake. Keep them open. And I really um, I really had compassion for him in that moment because he got hit from both sides like, oh, geez, you know, the people that weren't drinking were like, why is that so important? And the people that were drinking were like, of course, we need the liquor stores to stay open. And I think he was just in a really tough spot. But I, rem- I vividly remember seeing the lines wrapping around buildings like crazy of people waiting at the liquor store um, to, to stock up you know, when we were going into two weeks to slow the spread. Um, and so that for me created that national conversation of like alcohol is a big problem, like on a national level. And I think that's when I started to get into like looking at the statistics and how many people it kills a year and, and all that kind of thing. But I'm curious about your thoughts of, do you think that going into the pandemic or the, whatever that was, was like a, a stimulator for people to start relying on drinking more or did it just only reveal a problem that had already been around? Like I'd love, especially for women, I want, I would love to, to talk about that angle. So what, what do you think? I love this question. Thank you. I don't know that I've been asked this directly. So and I, I, it's, I want to talk about it because I definitely have an opinion on this. Mm. Um, and my opinion is because I was coaching um, I had been coaching gray air drinkers for four years, full time. So I, I had a pretty, you know, good clinical database of, of people. And my opinion is the drinking was our, it, kind of the second thing you mentioned, the drinking was already there. It was just safer and more comfortable and easier to admit it. And through kind of the, um, the side door of, well, the pandemic. Um, so I, that's my opinion of, of what's going on. I, I think um, certainly, I mean, the pandemic was very stressful. It was very traumatizing for all of us. So yes. And then I think that what that's also revealing is, you know, what I've been saying from the very beginning is that we don't have, um, we haven't been trained and we haven't had good modeling of how to regulate our nervous system. What we, ha- what we do know is how to medicate our nervous system with sugar and alcohol or, you know, other things as well. But those are, those are the biggies for a lot of people. And, um, and so it really then came, you know, we really saw this play out that people don't have, we've had no training. We have no experience, you know, of in our life of when we get squeezed, do we medicate with something outside of us or do we regulate with something you know, inside. And that's the work I do. And so my, my opinion, I have no numbers or, you know, anything to back this up, but just my sense of this is the drinking was already there. It certainly got amplified. Yes. I think people really, you know, were, they were drinking, they were drinking more and a lot, but I think it's also much easier to say, oh, the pandemic spurred this. Whereas if we didn't go through the pandemic, it's a little harder to say, to step up and say, I'm drinking too much, but it's a little easier to say I'm drinking too much. The pandemic, you know, do you know what I'm saying? We can yeah. kind of, um, ride in behind that. So that's my, my opinion is the drinking's always there. We've known, especially the last 15 years, way before the pandemic started that the increase with women, especially has gone up like 86% drinking. Women are drinking in a way they've never drank before in history. And that was going on before the pandemic. 
Certainly mm -hmm. there were people who, you know, increased their drinking during the pandemic, but I think it's easier to reveal and admit the drinking was there because of the pan because of the pandemic happened. Mm. That is such a great perspective. And I, I think you're right about that. And it's just, it's fascinating. Um, it's fascinating to watch this whole thing play out. Um, but I, another question popped in my head as we were talking about this, like I started to notice quite a change on social media during the pandemic around drinking. And I felt like social media was almost like this red carpet that was being laid out in front of people to go, um, you can post about day drinking because we're in a pandemic, right? Like I started to see mom friends and things like that posting pictures of like whiskey glasses and wine bottles and like it's five o'clock somewhere and rosé all day. And like, so while I agree with you that the drinking was already there, I almost feel like social media started to push the narrative that, yeah, it's there, but it's okay. We're all doing it. We're all in this thing together. Like you can, you can drink rosé in the middle of the day because you're now homeschooling your children. Um, and that's not what you had planned to do. Um, so I do think and, social and media played a weird role. Right. And, and zoom meetings, you know, cause everything went online. Oh, and yeah. so that was part of it. Like bring, bring your drink, you know, bring your drink to the meeting, which we yeah. didn't do that like in a physical work setting. And so that's right. what happened. And yes. And so, you know, I agree too. I'm not, there are certainly, there absolutely was a, an, an uptake. And what happens there is that anytime that this is the neurochemistry, anytime that the cortisol is up and the stress hormones are up and we're experiencing an emotional, often it's loss. So loss of a child, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of finances, loss of structure. So we were all in a global loss of our kind of predictable routines and stress hormones are up, and then you put alcohol in, that's a very dangerous chemical um, combination. Mm -hmm. So sure, there are people who, you know, weren't big drinkers, and that there was that combination that it's, it's like, you know, in the science experiment, when you pour the, it's like yeah. vinegar, and it just kind of explodes. So that absolutely happened, you know, people may have just kind of been drinking along, not giving much thought to it, it was kind of a, it was a take it or leave it. But in that intense stress, intense loss where it was encouraged on social media encouraged in zoom that's where in zoom meetings that's where the gray area gets to be a slippery slope very quickly and that's the case for everybody when you're when you're drinking frequently and regularly the slippery slope can happen anytime when life squeezes when there's a loss when there's high stress you, you it's that's what we need to be aware of because of that chemical um, mixture in the body yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that leads me to ask you about your program. So my understanding is, is you take private clients, people that fall into that gray area drinking, um, and help coach them through that. But then you also have this program where you train practitioners and other coaches. Um, and I, I really want to talk more about those two things. So, um, and you know, you, you can take it wherever you want, if you want to talk about the program first or your, um, you know, what you walk clients through, but you have come up with this system, you know, based off of the nourish acronym and that sort of thing. And I really encourage people to go watch your, your Ted talk and we'll have all the links in the show notes, but, um, I'd love to hear more about how, how do you work with the gray area drinkers? What are you teaching the practitioners, 
but more, but most importantly too, outside of what you're teaching them is like, why, why did you decide? Cause I think this is really important. Why did you decide I need to be training these practitioners? Cause I think there's a lot of really important information there about how they, they have no idea how to talk about this. And you give them the words, you give them the, how to assess, you give them all of the tools that they need to really start um, doing the groundwork of helping these people that are showing up in their office. And they're like, oh, I'm stressed and I get tension headaches and this and that. And it's like, oh, how much do you drink? And then maybe they answer that question, but there's no follow-up. It's like, do you want to talk about that? And and you're you're empowering and equipping these practitioners to feel really confident in having those conversations and giving people the resources that are actually going to help them. So, so where do you want to start gray area drinkers or the program? Cause I, I want to hear about both so much uh, to, to tell that story. I think I'll start okay. with the coaching because then the training evolved from the coaching. Okay. And, and the, both of these things um, happened organically. I didn't, this wasn't like, okay, this is going to be, here's my business strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, working in this realm, it, it really, as I talked about it, it just kind of started the momentum happened. And really in both cases, people came to me. Uh, and so as I started sharing my drinking story, my gray area drinking story, professionals were coming to me because I was working in the professional corporate realm, contracting, you know, doing wellness classes. Um, and I was talking about this nutrition piece where we're going to, I'm going to bring that in too. And, and so that was really resonating with individuals. They were saying, this is how I'm drinking. Like I function, your story is my story. And I want to know more about this neurobiology. I want to know more about working with my brain and, and kind of this optimization of my neurochemicals. And so by request, I, I really started just coaching one-on-one and kind of figuring, figuring it out. But what I was putting in, I'm, I want practical pieces personally. Like when I'm going through something, it's just like, just cut to the chase, mm-hmm. give me the goods, like give me the practical, tangible thing. And then why, like, why does this work? And so that's where I started. And that's where I, you know, of kind of how I piece things together for myself. When I quit drinking, I started sharing. I was like, well, you know, I, somatically, I don't know different biochemical individuality. This may land, it may not. We're only going to know if, once you experience it. So if you add in magnesium, let's see together this next week, like what happens? Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> when you go out and walk in nature, what do you notice? Like, do you want to do it again? Did you hate it? Was it? So that's how I started working with clients. And again, really quickly, you start seeing universal threads. Uh, not everything works for everyone, but there's some real universal things that show up over and over that are real, you know, client favorites. And then two years into that, a lot of my clients um, were healthcare practitioners because, again, they were drawn to that nutrition um, health story. And so they felt that comfort as a therapist, as a social worker, a nutritionist, a doctor, a nurse coming to me for one on one coaching. They would stop drinking. They got real passionate about there's like there's, you know, this gray area message needs to get out. I'm licensed, I'm certified, but I obviously have no training in working with my clients on this. You just took me through this. It was, I, it was brilliant. But will you teach me now how to like step-by-step step take clients through it? So again, by request in 2018, I started a training program. And I, I think I've, I've gone through like 15 training, training cohorts in the last seven wow. years or so. So about twice a year, I'll, I'll um, train pharmacists and doctors and health coaches and nurses and um, to go through the training. And so what I'm working with on both sides, when I'm working with the individual and training the practitioner is it's this notion that um, 
you know, alcohol does something. It changes our state. It's why we drink. And initially there's that positive effect. It's why I drank. I drank for the effect. And so when we then stop drinking, we, it's like, so we don't just feel like we jump off a cliff and we're just white knuckling, you know, hoping we don't um, just face plant on the ground of having something that holds us, like having that, that parachute. And so what, what is that parachute? What are those resources that, um, because we're, we're trying to, we're seeking something with alcohol, like our blood sugar is off, our stress hormones are up, our stress response, like we're in a flea state. Um, when, again, when we get squeezed, do we go into a collapse? Do we go into, a, we want to just run and just stay really busy? Um, spiritually, what's, you know, what, like, where's the void biochemically, emotionally, or spiritually? So that's how I work with people. Um, and then it becomes customized. I, I bring in my somatic resources, my functional medicine resources, my, um, it's that comprehensive nourishment. Sometimes it literally is the, the nutrient, like the black beans, which help bring the adrenaline down. You mentioned that at the very beginning of, um, it's, it's a nervous system regulator, but sometimes uh, it's not always food. Sometimes there's some emotional um, pieces that, and there's all different options, like actually pen to paper journaling is a really good physical therapy for some people. Some people hate journaling, that's okay. But for um, others where there's a resonance, it helps resonance helps connect the animal brain and the, the amygdala with the prefrontal cortex. So that, that bridge between the logic and the impulse starts to bind up again. It's not severed. So there's different things to do emotionally. There's the spiritual support. It's, we don't always have to shoulder through and do it all ourselves. And, um, and just, you know, those routines, that um, bedtime routine, morning routine, getting our circadian rhythm set, our biorhythms. So that's how I, I work with people. And then that's how I train practitioners of, to assess, first of all, is somebody a gray area drinker or not? And then how to start putting in these action steps, things that we're listening for of their drinking timeline. Have they already had it, you know, periods where they don't drink? Is there some early adversity? Like when did this start to uh, become, you know, were they aware of like, you know, drinking is a problem. And often people will, it's 10, 20 years before they come into coaching. So it's just going through those pieces and then really listening where your antenna is up of like, what they say is really great data then of which action step we start dropping in and, and customizing. So clients really like that customized. I work all physiologically. Um, I'm not doing therapy. I don't want to be a therapist. So I'm working on stabilizing the foundation of the physiology because when blood sugar is stable, when sleep is better, when that stress response is more regulated, then it's much easier to do things like therapy and other deeper work. But we want to cover the basics because it covers a lot of bases with those foundational physiological pieces. Mm -hmm. And that, that when I started like doing training and stuff in this area, because I realized the, the connection and I knew I wanted to build my business around this, it was so uh, life-changing for me, just understanding that physiological biochemical piece, because there were things that were happening that I had some sort of uh, like innate sense of, but I couldn't have articulated it until much later. And one of them was I, at some point I realized when I'm drinking red wine, cause my thing was red wine. 
it was only the first few minutes that I actually enjoyed. Like I would experience this tremendous downshift in my nervous system (laughs) and it would only last a few minutes, but I would literally keep drinking, chasing that feeling glass after glass. And even there were seasons of my life. I actually got up to two bottles a night. They were short and brief, but those were the seasons I started to really get nervous. But I was like, what am I, why would I drink two bottles of wine just to only enjoy the first 10 minutes? It felt, it felt like I had completely surrendered my power over to this bottle. You know, I had given my life over to it. And it's like, I lost any sense of being able to stop at that moment. And it was just, it was such a, it was such a crazy thing. And so I love that you focus on the physiology because if you talk to a lot of practitioners, coaches, people, um, even therapists, like I've had conversations with therapists where we just talked about magnesium in relationship to anxiety. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yes. Like, why is this not a conversation that's already being had within your own curriculum and training program? Even if it's just a unit, right? You you should be getting at least a unit um, on learning on the physiological effects of anxiety, depression, addiction, cravings, all of these things, even insomnia. So um, yeah. And actually this is a, this is also the thing I'll just interject really quickly of the, the training and the modeling, both, you know, as individuals, but also people who are then working with individuals. Um, I was the same way. Red wine, that, that was my, my drink of choice. And it was the same. It's like if I could just hold like an IV drip of just that constant kind of first half a glass, just but you can't. Like you get that initial effect and then you just it's like you fall off the cliff with it. And then I'd feel awful the next day. And yeah. but but the work I do is that first kind of effect, there are so many other things that give the body that physical effect. Mm-hmm. Yes, alcohol, short term, very short term, and then it's all very negative, gives us that effect. But what people don't know and haven't been taught is there's all these things. Some of it can be nutrient pieces, some of it can be actual practices, some of it where you can have that warm honey feeling where mm-hmm. you're not chemically altered through the nervous system. And we need that. Like that's, we, 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 we're active. We need to rest. We work. We need to play. We need to step off the track and be able to downshift. The nervous system has to have it. It's like a, just a biological force that needs to happen. So if we don't intentionally know what to do or intentionally put something in or have been trained on it, we have learned about it we're going to reach for the quick, easy thing. And it may, of course, it's like, of course, it makes total sense. The nervous system needs that downshift. So that's what I, I just love, you know, the healthy discoveries and, and sharing those, those pieces to, to put in and practitioners need to know that and individuals need to know what those resources are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I wrote down warm honey. I loved that description because that's exactly what it felt like. And I just think back to like, gosh, I spent, there were so many times I spent like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, just thinking about that warm honey experience I would get at five o'clock on Friday when I was in that season of just trying to drink on Fridays. And it's like, what the heck? I just spent my whole week thinking, dreaming, desiring 10 minutes of relaxation, which when, if I had known all of the other tools that you use and talk about to be able to give myself that same experience in a satisfying way that actually works and doesn't create more anxiety and depression, I would have done that years ago. Um, you know, but I just didn't know. And to your question about, you know, why the practitioners need this, this is why, because we need to bust that whole kind of stereotypical, well, you're not end stage, you're not an alcoholic, 
but what's in front of them is a nervous system that is asking for and legitimately very much needs support and needs to be resourced. And, and even if the practitioner doesn't want to kind of take this on and, you know, do the full training, that just to know that there are referrals and resources and so much out there, instead of just saying, oh, you're just a little stressed, don't, or it might be getting a little close to the practitioner because they're drinking the same way. And so quickly brushing it aside and it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the practitioner. It doesn't serve their patient, the family, and even, you know, the community health to brush away when somebody's asking for, you know, we need that regulation and, and practitioners need to be armed with resources to help people learn to regulate so that we stop, like I say, stop going to the bakeries and the bars, to the alcohol. And the, <laughs> the bakeries and the bars. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And so, so this is a good place to clarify, like who you work with, who I work with, because we really do have two different populations um, and sending people in the right direction. And then we're going to shift into, we're going to shift into a different topic. Um, and so please hang around because it's going to be amazing. But, um, you know, I, I, okay. So for you, you work with gray area drinkers, you've got the coaching program and what is that called? That it's my nourish method. So Nourish I, method. I teach coaches in, yeah, my, what I talk about my TED talk of, of um, really supporting and assessing the neurotransmitters, the, the nutrition side of things and, and how to do that, mm -hmm. uh, working somatically with clients. And so these physiological resources, it's a seven week training, continuing mm -hmm. education for practitioners to, to have this library of resources and, and the confidence to, to assess and, and guide a client through uh, you know, their, their gray area drinking that, that those questions of like, Oh, forever. And I could be a social drinker and, and putting these resources in place for all, all these things that come up. Yeah. And if somebody's just listening to this and going, wait, I'm a gray area drinker. I, I need to, I need to get out of this and I want Jolene to coach me. What is that program called? So that's my craving brain one-on-one -on -one oh. coaching. I do work with clients one-on-one -on -one, and then my team of coaches, uh, my master coaches who are under me, who have gone through my training, they're on my website as well. Um, so you can work with one of my coaches who is advised by me twice a month, or you can work directly with me. It's all on prayerdrinkers.com. Ah, perfect. I didn't actually know about that. So that's, uh, that's a great to know that that resource is out there because you, you do need to duplicate yourself. You can't, we have millions of people struggling and we, we all just can't go see Jolene. Right. So, um, I love that you're, you have master coaches under you. Perfect. And to, and to make the distinction, like if you're a gray area drinker and you're thinking you want to work with me, I can't work with you. I don't work with gray area drinkers. So I would encourage you to go towards Jolene and her resources and get connected that way. I really work with people that, um, are suffering from true addiction and are usually like in that first one to two years out of rehab and their life, uh, they want to pick up the wreckage and rise from the ashes and create the life that they always dreamed that they could be. And so we do work on nutrition and fixing dietary patterns, but it's also a lot of just rebuilding your life from, from the wreckage. And so, um, and I'm on a wait list, so I can't even take people anymore right now. Um, but anyways, I want to shift into a different conversation. I, have been watching you over the years. Like I said before, like we've known each other and met a few times, but haven't been close, but I've been watching from a distance, like things you put on social media and all. And there's been 
there's been something happening with you. You have gone through what I would call, as it looks to me, some kind of spiritual transformation. Um, and there's been times I've been watching you during that transformation where I'm just like, oh, that's interesting, like kind of curious about it. And there's been times where I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but most recently, you went um, and did like a live in-person talk. I think it was called Theology on Tap. I was listening to that podcast and I started to realize that you and I are actually very in alignment in a lot of areas. Um, I have this bracelet on that says Sophroneo and this word Sophroneo has been my word for the last few years and it means sober-minded clarity. And I don't wear it to remind me to be sober because I'm so deeply committed to my sobriety. I don't need a bracelet to remind me of that. It's just ingrained in who I am now. But what it does remind me of is that I want to be alert. I want to be alive. I want to be fully present in every single moment that I show up with whether it's sitting here having this conversation with you, whether it's my son talking about something that happened at school, whether it's me sitting in church, um, I want to be present for every single moment. And so it's, it does constantly remind me to be like deeply involved in the present and also alert. Um, I've been going through a spiritual transformation of my own. I've never shied away from talking about my faith, but I also never knew if it was going to be like intermingled in my business or not. And the last six months, God is completely dismantling everything that I thought I knew my business was going to be. And it it's really shook me to my core. And I've been seeking, um, I've been seeking pastors, I've been seeking coaches, I've been seeking friends that I know who are deeply rooted in their faith. I've been a follower of Jesus since 2007. I gave my life to Christ in 2007. I grew up Catholic, but I had like my own journey with that and kind of fell away from it and lived my wild life and sowed my wild oats. Um, but in 2007 had a, had a crisis and that's what brought me back to my faith. And ever since then it's been deeply rooted in who I am. And I think that most people who like, you know, are, they're a friend on Facebook or they just know me, they know that I'm committed to my faith. Um, but again, I didn't really ever know how that would get involved in my business. And over the last three to six months, I can't close my eyes to this anymore. I know that God has got like the neon sign in front of me that says, you need to talk about me. You need to talk about your faith. You need to start talking to these people out there who are struggling with addiction, or maybe it's gray area drinking, and they're trying all the things. They're pulling all the levers that the world has to offer them, and they're stuck. They're not getting better. And this is a scary conversation to have, Jolene, um, because people are going to have a lot of opinions and there's people who are going to turn this podcast off right now. But I also believe there's going to be a lot more people that are like, wait, I want to hear what they have to say. And, and those are the people that um, I want to share this conversation with. So I would love to hear more about your spiritual transformation. And I had this question I had written down before we did this. You know, I wanted to know, like, did giving up alcohol for you create more room for you to experience or pursue 
faith or spirituality? Like did, what were, did those two things come together? And did you start to realize like, now that I'm not busying myself with alcohol and I don't have the mental energy that comes along with that, has it created more space? Has it created, uh, did, did it create more desire? Like did your desire increase to want to know truth or what, what is truth or any of those things? Like, is God real? Like, I don't, I don't really know anything about your journey other than what I've seen on social media. I just know that you and I are converging in this really cool place. And I can't wait to see where it takes us, but yeah, I'm just going to just let it flow. Like wherever you want to start, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps because we're there's yeah this conversation. And, and like you said, um, it, people's fear around stopping drinking of kind of, you know, talking about it or what are people going to say? And, and the truth is the majority out there is in the gray area. Like it's not a minority to be in, in the gray area it's a minority to be in this conversation that you and I are now stepping into. And I, and I'm well aware of that. And just like with, with drinking, I, it was very quiet and private. So I quit drinking and just quietly for about a year and a half and didn't speak publicly. And my, my faith walk has been very similar. It's now been two years quietly personally. Um, and now I'm, I'm ready to be much more public with it. So I guess, you know, to start the question of kind of the convergence with, with alcohol, when I quit drinking, I was spiritually completely, um, you know, I was in a desert at, at the time. I, I had no spiritual anchor. I had walked away from, I was in a real, I've written about it on my Substack, but in, in a real energetic, um, yoga practice that went way off the rails and and was very hard to kind of as soon as I saw it I, I walked away from everything and I said I'm I'm done um I walked away from I said I don't want any of this kind of new thought metaphysical energies and I was very into it and um and I hadn't been going to I've been going to kind of metaphysical churches so to me that was you know church and I'm like I don't want to go to church I don't want to do this stuff and, and it was very kind of, I mean, I remember saying, I'm just going to drink like with my, it's what people do. It's just like, why, why make things so difficult? Like I've always been a seeker and I just like, just live and just drink. <laughs> and I did. And I, those last five years of my drinking, late thirties, early forties, I drank the most that I'd ever drank. And I was also the most spiritually unanchored than I'd ever been in my whole life. And I never really thought of that until about this year. I was like, isn't that interesting? The time that I drank the most, I had no spiritual connection to, to mm -hmm. anything. And about a year, let me think, a year or two into not drinking, I, cause I really liked England and had a real, I still have a real affinity to, I'm drawn to kind of the medieval cathedrals. And so I would go to England a lot and go, I was drawn to the cathedrals. Like it's interesting how the Holy Spirit works. So, um, was very patient with me <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, Oh, medieval history. And I just kind of like, and I was interested in kind of some of the mystical, like some of the Julian of Norwich, Hildegard of Bingham and, and then I, in Denver, I was like, well, the Episcopal Cathedral downtown, that's like a Church of England church. Like, why didn't that ever dawn on me all these years? So I, I, I went and I remember the first service I went to just wept. It just felt there was such peace of like going back to, and I hadn't been to like a traditional church for years. And so just very slowly then was, um, I started going to their contemporary service. 
Um, but, it, and I loved it. I really, really loved the service. I was never um, atheist. I was never agnostic. I was never a non-believer. I was always, um, and very, you know, happily spiritual, you know, I'm like, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a seeker. I love this spiritual stuff, but I was never interested in kind of a legalistic traditional church. I grew up Presbyterian. Um, but I, you know, we were pew warmers. Like we didn't read the Bible. We just went and you showed up every Sunday and went to church and then went on with your life. So I, I didn't, I didn't have trauma around traditional church, but I also didn't have any foundation of, I mean, I'd heard, you know, it's like I knew of Jonah and the whale. Or like I, I, those weren't kind of things to me, but, but I didn't understand the Bible story as, you know, I hadn't read the Bible. And I was always like, well, my grandmother read, read the Bible, but who, re like, I don't understand. How do you read the Bible? Like, it's just this old thing. Like, how do you even understand it? Yeah. So it just never, and even, you know, in those early times, I just enjoyed going back to kind of a traditional service. I kind of, like I was the Celtic Christianity. So it's still kind of that, I, went from real new thought metaphysical to some mystical pieces. And then COVID hit. Mm. And it just really, you know, I was watching a lot of stuff in the new age world, in the spiritual but not religious world online. And and it was just, the, there was just this inner knowing, kind of like with alcohol, that I just knew in my bones. It's like, if there's ever a time to be with God, like now is the time. I, there's no more kind of messing around with this. And it never occurred to me. Like it, I would have thought 10 years ago, and those who are listening and I might be on the verge of like shutting this off. <laughs> I, was, I would, would start to hear people kind of say this type of story. And at first I'd be like, are they like having a like nervous breakdown? Like, did they just, are they, are they just go? And I, and I'd be so, I'm like, I can't believe what I'm hearing, but I'd, be kind of intrigued I'm like but I can't turn away like what is going on with them and so the more so I would say that you know to those listening if they're like oh boy <laughs> um and so I just kind of you know listen and there was some little pieces that were making sense it was like I, I was like I need to go back to the origins I'm all about the origins of the physiological work like we need to go to the root of things it's like that root cause and and that functional side and it's like I need to go to the root of the, you know, my Christian roots, again, I, it wasn't that I didn't have early Christian, my family, you know, my grandparents went to church. And, and so I was just when I came to Charleston, I, you know, I um, found an Anglican church. And um, I feel like it was God just, you know, on the back, he just dropped me on the like a little orphan kind of how I feel. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna go to church, and then I'll go to the beach. And I look back on it now. And I'm like, Boy, God was working. He just how then things so quickly opened and the people I met and what I and within three months, I called my um, friend in Colorado, who's been a Christian, you know, all her life. And I said, I, I want to read the Bible chronologically. I didn't know there was a thing. I didn't know you could like go through the Bible and across. I'm like, there's reading plans like people do this. So she told me about the Bible recap, which I just love. It's just. A <laughs> yes, of course out there because and I and I, I was intrigued with it because I had tea with a friend here in Charleston who was going to my church and we were just meeting for nobody evangelized to me nobody because the um there was not that language that I associated with legalistic kind of you know accepting Jesus Christ as your to me that sounds like language of like it's a disease and it, you know alcoholism and the way gray area drinkers kind of resist that 
-hmm. there was no kind of evangelizing language, but, but people, you know, that I was meeting, they were reading the Bible. And I liked them. Like they were like these cool people. And I never you liked them. them. I love that. Because people I think we're so them. scary, you know? I know. Because I was just always like, oh, people read the Bible. It's kind of simple-minded or little. <laughs> and then I was re- meeting these people who were like, these are really fascinating, like smart people. And anyway, I was having tea with, with a friend that I was getting to know here. And she just, I mean, again, no trying to like, mission to me or evangelize to me and she was just telling me about her morning how she was working her way through reading samuel in the bible because she's doing the bible in a year and i'm like you read the bible i like my head just like i just didn't understand and so then i you know said okay well i want to try it like if you do it and you get something out of it like what are you getting out of it so i was intrigued and i just kind of kept following you know what was i was so curious about about it all of a sudden just like i was curious about you know, I'm, I'm just going to take alcohol out of my life. And, um, and one of the ministers at my church here, he's a big C.S. Lewis expert. And so that was really helpful. I knew of like the Chronicles of Narnia, but I didn't know the screw tape letters or that hidden, hidden strength, I think is that. So he goes through every semester on Wednesday nights, um, just a C.S. Lewis book and really breaks it down. And so the screw tape letters was really impactful. And it was 2021. And I was just like, this is what's happening. Like Lewis wrote about this in the 1940s, and not knowing anything about COVID and the pandemic. And, and it was just, it really hit me. Um, and then learning more about like um, the main minister was connecting kind of the Anglican history, which I loved. So again, the Holy Spirit was really working in I loved learning about in that class, just the early medieval history with early roots of Christianity, not what's going on in the last 30, 50 years here in the US, like how people, you know, how people think of churches, but those early, early um, churches. And so it's just like every little thing of, it's like, wow, there's these scholars like at Oxford and C.S. Lewis, he was, I didn't know his story, that he was this atheist and had this conversion and He's, he's brilliant and the stuff he writes and, and it just opened this world for me of these different authors and different people that um, I was like, I didn't know this world existed. I'm 50 years old. Like, how have I not heard of these people mm-hmm. and, and their, their walk with Jesus and the evidence for Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I, I, was, I really came from that spiritual but not religious world of um, Christ consciousness and Jesus is just an ascended master and the Bible is just very metaphysical. It doesn't matter if Jesus walked the earth or not. And I went with my church to Israel in just in June, two months ago. And it was very powerful and very impactful. Of, like there's really solid history and evidence. You and I were talking before we started recording, but um, Elisa Ch- Childers. Childers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found her last summer and she was, I mean, her book, another gospel was really powerful um, for me. So I just kept finding these, these people. And again, nobody was coming to me um, saying, we want to, you know, convert you or um, the more that I realized this, this world was, was out there as I'm myself reading the Bible. um, It's, it's been a, a very unexpected conversion that 10 years ago, I never would have thought ever that I would be, back in the traditional church saying these words to you. 
Yeah. It's been fascinating to watch your journey from afar. And um, like I said, just only recently starting to see like, oh, I can see that things are changing and turning for her and her beliefs and that sort of thing in the direction that she's going. And and, um, it really started to pique my interest in getting more connected with your resources to see what was going on with you. And then obviously having you on the podcast. I loved that you said that part of your journey felt like a no more messing around kind of thing, because that's exactly what I've experienced too. I I haven't been private about my faith, but I've kept it mostly separate from my business. Um, Like you'll, you would hear me say like God or creator or things like that. Um, But I never really felt like I was going to have to combine those things, but I'm in this space now, which I think is interesting with your journey and journeys that I'm hearing from other people where they're also getting that sense of there's no more messing around. For those of you that follow me, you're going to have to start talking about this in spaces and areas that you maybe never thought you would have ever talked about. Um, And so that's why you're you know, the people that listen to this podcast, you're going to start to see more and hear more about this in, in my podcast. And I especially think, you know, you and I were talking before um, we hit record about how desperate the alcohol free or the sober curious community really needs to hear this message. And I think it's so important to remind people, like a lot of you out there are seekers, like you were seeking, I was seeking at a certain time. Like for me, my seeking was really like in my college years, like I would go to these humanities classes and I would learn about um, the Tao of of poo or like whatever that book was. I don't even remember it now, but at the time I remember thinking like everyone needs to read the Tao of poo, you know, like it was just such an interesting concept. And so I did some seeking searching and I finally, it was kind of a quick journey for me, um, to kind of sort it out. But, um, I, the key thing here is that if you're already a seeker, And you already feel like you've closed the door to Christianity because there's so many bad behaving Christians or messages from the church that are uh, not accurate or not delivered well or whatever. I would encourage you to just open that door and to start seeking in that direction as well, because what you know and what I know and everybody else that's landed in this position is that your seeking will take you to the truth. Um, and yeah, and, that's... and what I want to say to that too is um, the tr- the church trauma and church hurt is real. I yes. acknowledge that. I recognize that. I I hear the stories. I know the stories. I, I was really familiar with that for all the years. If I would read memoirs about people leaving really kind of fundamentalist beginnings and coming to the spiritual world, so. that's very familiar to me. And then I'm like, you know, I'm so used to people coming this way up the stream and I'm like going the opposite way now. Um, So I completely acknowledge it. I'm not dismissing it at all. And, and, and it's, 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 it's a big deal to, you know, to reconcile that, that man church, you know, the man-made thing. Um, Men do atrocious, you know, humankind does atrocious things, Mm -hmm. but when I really then started understanding God and the mercy and like actually reading the Bible, mm-hmm. um, it's such a fascinating story and the arc of the story and that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So everything that we're going through today, like, and that was what it was like, the old Testament is blowing my mind. Like it's a playbook of what's mm-hmm. happening. So again, I don't want to, yes. and also what was happening from the very beginning is 
people taking things and corrupting stuff mm-hmm. in the very mm-hmm. beginning and, and the hurt and you know all of all of that so I forget where I, I don't know where I was going with it but I, yeah. just, I guess kind of going back acknowledging to, the church hurt it's real it's so real the church hurt but I guess I guess what I want to say too is what I didn't it's kind of like with alcohol I didn't I was a little aware, but what really, since I've stopped drinking, God, there's all these missing pieces. There's all these physiological missing pieces, these roots and these origins that aren't kind of mainstream that, I mean, we've, we've had kind of this, this stereotypical traditional path with, you know, we need better willpower or whatever. And it's like, no, there's these physiological missing pieces. And I found the same thing with the faith journey is Mm. for me, there were so many missing pieces that I had no idea about. And so if that was me, and I'm a questioner, like I'm a seeker, I, you know, there's got to be others out there too, who are on this alcohol-free path, who don't realize this, this world of these early, early origins of Christianity, and, and people, you know, real thinkers like C.S. Lewis, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not really, what influenced me wasn't necessarily like a modern day pastor um, Mm -hmm. that's popular on YouTube. It was going back to the origins and the origins are so rich and they're so robust and they're so nourishing that that's what I, that's kind of um, why I want to give voice to this because Mm. I didn't know so much of this until I'm still learning. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know that there's others out there that don't know these pieces either. There's a lot that we know stereotypically or our perception of things, just like with alcohol. But when you dig of what we, you know, the, 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 the root pieces, I say, kind of going back to, you know, we've lost our roots. We've lost our lineage to, to the, you know, the early church and the early church is for me, it's been really, really good to get to know. Yeah. It's interesting how we all come to these different places through different avenues. You know, um, when you talk to people about their story, their spiritual transformation, like how did you get from here to there? And I I do think that's a super important piece. Um, and I love that God used that to bring you in that direction. Um, oh, I had a, oh, I had a thought and I almost lost it, but it came back. So it, I get the sense that this place that you're in right now is sort of exploring how to talk about this missing piece of missing piece of spirituality and the alcohol-free world. Um, it feels like you're in the middle of a of a new transformation in terms of like bringing these worlds together. And I love that you said it. Learning about the early church and going on your faith journey has been so nourishing for you because the, I've I've experienced that as well. There is something about my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with God that nourishes me on a level that no worldly thing has ever been able to do. And I think that that's also what led me to my own faith walk years ago. Um, because I chased after everything. Like I smoked cigarettes for 20 years. I drank alcohol. I have major food addiction issues and disordered eating issues. Um, relationships like romantic relationships. Holy cow. That was like a whole nother thing for me for years. Like, you know, teenage years into early twenties. I, I used people, I used things. I did all these things to fill this space that never ever was filled by anything other than God. And so I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about like, what do you think the future is of this space that we are slowly like walking into of combining these two worlds of helping people understand their, their relationship with alcohol and what that means for them. And this other missing piece of spirituality. Like, I'm just, I'm just curious about what you think the future holds for that. What is it going to look like? Why is it so important? Like anything that you want to speak to about that? 
I think it's the next step. I think it's the next layer. You know, I know there's a lot of narrative out there that how we've been deceived by big alcohol and been marketed to very intentionally about alcohol. And, you know, I, I hear that. I get that. And it's, it's true. Um, and I, and I also, you know, again, there's that passion for the truth and for what's beneath things, what's the root of things. And if, if people are, you know, passionate about kind of, well, wow, I've been deceived about alcohol. Um, we've also really been deceived about God. Oh my and gosh. I, I love that you said that. I don't want to interrupt your thought, but I'm just like, yes, that's exactly it. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. We've really, it, um, you know, I mean, part of the, oh, there's so many parallels because I would say, you know, I didn't go that far down in the new thought. You know, there's a lot that I didn't do, but I was also far enough, you know, I was like, I wasted 30 years. Sometimes I feel that, but I also feel like I saw enough and I know enough that if I, like, I'm, this is so true. And, and if I, if I didn't kind of see the other side, this wouldn't have penetrated because it's still some of the language it doesn't like intellectually like when i hear like oh you know the walk with jesus or coming to the lord i'm like i don't my brain doesn't even i mean i'm with god i am you know but that language it's the same kind of language as like the alcoholic language and i'm like i don't even know what that means you know of like this relationship with jesus i i do know what it means but the language intellectually doesn't work in my brain. And so, I mean, another similarity of like kind of where this is going to your question of mm -hmm. so much of my work is the somatic work. It's that experiential um, mm -hmm. of kind of know it in your bones. And when you try something, like it's either you're going to be like, oh, green light, like I want to keep following this or neutral. I don't know one way or the other or oh, I hated this. You know? mm -hmm. And so it's the it really is um, this this God neutral, you know, walking with God, it's an experiential, um, piece. And there's that, there's that knowing that I, that I've never felt somatically with the other pieces, with the metaphysical, with the, there's just such richness, which was completely, I was, it was behind a veil. It was, it was, mm -hmm. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I was really deceived. Like people say, Oh, they were deceived by alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I say with alcohol and, you know, the work, it's like, don't take my word for it. Like try a resource and see what your experience is. And mm. that's what I would you know, say with, with this too, of like, don't, I'm not evangelizing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I'm not, not saying everybody quit drinking, but try, there's these missing pieces that I have found really fascinating and a level of peace that, that I just didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. I, learning and uh, one other helpful piece for me was um the c.s lewis fellows program so i went through that last summer and fall and for me it was just a really you know we spent a month on different themes like mercy and grace and prayer mm -hmm. and scripture and it wasn't just c.s lewis books we there were some c.s lewis books but but really top scholars and so we would we would read articles and you know it wasn't any particular denomination but just the solid kind of roots of prayer and I, you know, or scripture. And I was introduced then to a lot of great thinkers and, and writers. And we'd watch a movie like Les Miserables, if I'm saying that right, um, about just 
grace, you know, we'd learn about God's grace and mercy, which I didn't know. You know, I know people talk about the fire and brimstone God, but reading these pieces and reading the arc within the Bible, mm. I just can't get enough of it. I mean, the story is so nourishing and how deep you can go with, with study notes, you know, when you get the study Bible or mm -hmm. the commentaries or, um, you know, listening to different, different podcasts and people's take on, it's like, you can, you know, three verses, you can spend a, you know, an hour podcast or, you know, a good hour, just, just digging deep and reading different commentaries and, and how it's just so rich. And then also, you know, going to Israel and it's like, oh, this isn't just a tall tale. Like I'm still kind of scrubbing my mind of that it's just this fairy tale or a myth. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, the, the carbon dating, like the archeological, the history and the oral history and these sites, they didn't just kind of stick a flag and be like, oh, here was, like we, mm -hmm. I went to where, I had no idea until two months ago that there, like the actual site where the cross went in the ground. I didn't know a physical site existed even until before, I mean, I, I flew all the way to Israel and I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to a physical location? Where... <laughs> so it's just, it, it really has been, I mean, I'm, I've been in a deconstruction and still mm -hmm. in it, um, but I just love it. I, I just, I'm hungry yeah. to learn the, the story, the, the whole Bible story that for the first 50 years of my life, I just, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I love, and it's, yeah, it's been so fun to watch. And I also love that, you know, God let you go deep into that new agey kind of thing, just enough. Like you said, you were in it, not too deep in, but I think that that experience that you had and your 30 years of sort of like seeking, not seeking, kind of experiencing all, all of the spectrum of having some sort of faith practice serves you so well because you've seen both sides of the coin you know what it's like um to live with and without god i mean i had a very very dark seven year period in my early 20s that i will never forget it was the darkest of my life it was the seven years that i was like i am not with god i don't know about god um and and it was horrific but i oh i it it, it that experience is so embodied in me and so visceral that I can very easily remember what that was like. And it brings me to that passionate place that I'm at today. I was telling you earlier, I feel like I'm on fire and I can't find the extinguisher because I'm just now that I feel like God has told me, I want you to pivot. Um, you know, here's why, here's the reasons and that sort of thing. Like I can't stop gobbling up all of the experiences and opportunities to start figuring out how to, um, create more of a platform for these types of discussions. And so that's kind of why I asked you, where do you think that this is going? Because, uh, where, wherever it's going, I want to be a part of it and I want to be involved in it. And I've never felt more clear about my participation in this conversation. Um, you know, specifically, um, recognizing deception, helping other people, or at least fostering the conversation of like, where does faith and spirituality play a role in our journey, specifically and especially in our alcohol-free journey. Um, so yeah, there, 
I, ha I have so many other questions on my piece of paper that I feel like at some point, maybe we need to do a part two or a part three. You mentioned something along in the very beginning of this podcast that we haven't had time to talk about. I don't think we have time now, but I want to sort of whet the appetite of people listening. You said, I don't think alcoholism or addiction is a disease. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts around that too, but let's just keep our mouths shut because maybe we can like um, park that somewhere and have um, a recorded conversation around that too. Cause I think it'll be fascinating. Um, anything else as we're wrapping up that you want people to know about you, your programs, the future of this conversation, anything you want to add before we wrap it up? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having this, this conversation. Um, you know, all my info is at grayareadrinkers.com. I also have a Substack where um, it's Healthy Discoveries by Jolene Park. And that's where I've been writing about some of this spiritual or my, my, my faith-based walk now, now with God. Um, yeah, and I just, uh, you know, I'm happy to, to keep the conversation going. I, I think, like, you know, where this is going, this, this merging, because it's taken me some time to feel comfortable publicly talking about it, but I'm ready. I'm on fire as well. I just cause it, it's just not again that I'm trying to convert or, or right. change. But it's so interesting to me. I want to talk to others who, who are interested. Um, and I would just say, you know, again, you asked that question, like, where is this going? And, and I think taking the veil off around the deception with alcohol, that's, that's kind of the one-on-one. And I think, you know, the, the 201, the PhD, like, the, you know, the next kind of advanced level is, is looking at the God piece. Yeah. Um, because there's been so much deception. I didn't realize how deceived I was. I know one thing I was going to say of mm -hmm. in some of the spiritual world of like all about the mysteries and, you know, these hidden things and these hidden books and what are the mysteries that we, you know, have been kept from us, especially mm -hmm. as women. And um, if you're, you know, if you're into that, what's been kept from us is right in front of us. Like it's been very directed of, cause I was like, why would anyone read the Bible? And I think a lot of people feel that way. And if, if you, if you want, you know, the mysteries and, and, and the goods it's, it's right in the Bible. And I recommend something like a Bible recap alongside mm -hmm. of it. Yes. Um, my life group is doing Bible recap. They have for months and months and months. I guess they started in January. So when you said that, like my face lit up, cause I'm like, yes, that's such a valuable resource for sure. Yeah. So I think things like that, you know, and even if people are listening and they're like, oh, these two are nuts. They just, <laughs> I would say, you know, check something out like the Bible, just, just be curious to prove that we're really nuts. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's what I like to do is when I hear something online, I'm like, I want to check out exactly what they're talking about just uh -huh. to show how. And I say do that, like a little bit of a challenge, like look into some of these things and just start listening. And, and just it's the curiosity, just like with yeah. sober curiosity, some of that God curiosity. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a questioner just like you. I think we're in alignment there. And I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think back to when I was just getting really, really amped up about the mommy wine culture. And so I was like, I need to create space for these conversations. And that moved into, can we just start normalizing not drinking like people? Can we please make it as normal to not drink as it is to drink? And I feel like this is the next piece of 
of, of whatever it's going to look like, because I do think it's going to be led by the Holy spirit. And so I'm open to how like organically and spiritually led that it is. But for me, it, it also is not about evangelizing. It's about just holding space for these conversations. It's about normalizing the conversation, helping others to feel comfortable, to walk inside of that circle maybe people that have been outside of this conversation thinking about it, or they're just curious, like, I wonder what it's like on the other side of that circle, like where people are having these conversations and they're not full of fear. They're full of curiosity. Um, and, um, just holding space for that to see however it unfolds. I'm willing, I'm willing to like walk out on the front line of that. I feel very confident right now in that. And three months ago, I wasn't, I don't know what it is. I'm just walking in. I'm stepping into the space that God has called me to be in. And I couldn't be more excited and thrilled and um, all of the things. And so I would say to those of you out there listening, just um, keep listening, (laughs) keep searching, keep seeking, check out a resource, do the Bible recap ask a friend. You've all got a Christian friend. You all do. And maybe, maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they haven't, but go to them, ask them a question, go to the people you feel that are safe, right. To like, I just really, I don't want to be judged, but I want to ask you a question. And I also don't want to like open up the doorway to make you think you can like evangelize me. And this is the thing now I just want to ask a question. And if you're out there listening and you're, you are a Christian, be that safe person, be that person. Start, start being that person now, if you haven't before, like make yourself a safe person so that other people can go, you know, like Susan's, I know she's got a relationship with God or whatever, or maybe she reads the Bible. I just want to go ask her a question. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think this is a great place to end it. I am so unbelievably grateful to you to step into this space and have this conversation with me today. I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. I can't wait to see where God leads us both. I hope that we can continue this conversation in a number of different ways. Um, Everything you mentioned will be in the show notes. Please, people don't freak out. Um, We will lead you to all the right places. Um, So yeah, thanks for being here, Jolene. And um, I can't wait to see where, where this uh, where this takes both of us. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. Thanks for having me. I could talk for hours. It's just, that's what I love to talk about. So it's so fun to connect with you and thanks for having me. Yeah, me too. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Hey friends, if you loved what you heard today, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, post it on your social media, give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening from today, or give us a review. This really helps us to reach more people and give them hope that they too can reach optimal health and recovery. And for sure, head over to the Addiction Nutritionist website to sign up for our newsletter and check out Recovery U at www.theaddictionnutritionist.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you feel inspired today to recover well. Quick disclaimer, Nikki and I are not medical professionals in any way, shape, or form, and nothing on this podcast constitutes medical advice. It is purely for educational purposes only. Please consult your personal team of health professionals before making any changes to your diet, supplements, medication, or lifestyle. Thanks for listening.